Well, good morning. God is good? And all the time? Amen. Well, I don't know if I'm supposed to say happy Labor Day. I don't know how you uh, address Labor Day, but I hope that you all have a wonderful weekend. I know a lot of people are traveling, and I pray for their safety as they travel during this long weekend. We got quite a few announcements I want to share. Next Sunday is our family fun day at Camp Grace, uh, September 10th. The temperature is going to be below 100. So, Um, Make sure you bring some of your small little fans that you have. We're going to have a wonderful time of swimming, fishing, inflatables, 2 to 7 o'clock. There will be uh, lunch there uh, at the picnic. Uh, We do hamburgers and hot dogs. Love for you to come and be a part. Uh, You can get more information in the bulletin that we send out online. Um, And if you aren't getting that bulletin, you are welcome to speak with Brother Randy or go to the visitor's table. They can share with you how to make sure you get that. Our senior adult trip to Branson is coming up on April 14th to the 18th. You can get one of these flyers in the back. You can also talk with me or uh, Brother Randy or SL um, about the details of the trip if you would like more information. Um, Also wanted to share with you that we have raised $1,336 for the orphans in India through the Kids Lemonade Stand. Amen. And I know that uh, the kids had a wonderful time learning about India and what's going on there and then getting an opportunity to support them through uh, the lemonade stand. Also, on Monday, because it is Labor Day, uh, our office will be closed. And for those who come to our Monday prayer time meeting, every Monday it's from 12 to 1 o'clock. But this Monday, we will not be having the prayer time because of the office being closed and... Uh, people spending time with their family during this time. I do have just a few other things I want to mention real quickly. Uh, Miss Wanda White is headed out with the disaster relief um, down to Inverness, Florida on Thursday. Miss Wanda, raise your hand up. We want to be praying for Miss Wanda as she goes. Are there others that are going to be deployed? Does anybody here, anybody raise your hand if you're going to be deployed as well? Um, so they have, they're deploying the Alabama disaster relief to Inverness, Florida because of the hurricane uh, Idelia. Is that how you say that name? Uh, They make the the strangest names sometimes for hurricanes. But anyways, they're going to be deployed. That's the reason why we're training is for moments like this. And we're so thankful for you, Ms. Wanda. Uh, She's a chaplain, uh, part of the chaplain team that she's going to be going down there. So let's be praying for her as she goes. Also wanted to share, uh, where's Brother S.L.? Where are you? Oh, is he in the lobby? Well, I'm just so excited that Brother S.L. is back today. His surgery was successful, and thank you all for praying for him uh, during that time. And then I have one more thing that I want to share, and I don't see her in here either, but today marks Melanie's 10th anniversary of being here at Luke 418 Fellowship. You know, it's a joy to have staff that stays for a long time, and I just praise God for the longevity of all those that are on our team. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time of worship this morning. Father, you are so good, and we praise your holy name. And Father, I pray that this morning that our hearts would be prepared to ascend the hill of the Lord. As we talked Wednesday night, that we would uh, seek you to search our heart to show us anything that may prevent us from hearing that which you are speaking today. Give us clean hands and a pure heart, Father. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that we would hear and listen and place into our lives all that you're speaking, that we would walk in obedience of your truth. 
for it's in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If you're a guest with us, we'd love for you to fill out uh, the welcome card that's in the seat back pocket right in front of you. Today we come to worship our King. So why don't you stand, greet those around you to look for a team fellowship, and let's begin singing together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the gifts, everything that we need for life and godliness. Let's sing together. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, some called to today to give him our heart our soul our mind and our strength 
and to always remember the salvation together. So let's sing. Praise is rising this morning. Praise is
be seated. We have been saved through Christ and through his sacrifice. And the Christian life is given us a roadmap here uh, in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Since he gave himself for me, I'm going to make room so that he can do whatever he wants to in my life. Here is where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. Every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want. and everything that we have for you today. Let's do what you want us to do. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. 
Hey. 
today by proclaiming that God is holy. There is no one like our God today. Father, we know that your ways are absolutely higher than our ways, that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They're too wonderful for us today. We know that you love us and we trust you in that. We know that you're faithful and we see it again and again and again through your word and through our own testimony, Lord. We pray that we would not hold back today, that we would not delay in responding to what you have done for us as a your people as your children that you want to return to you we pray that we would be humble that we would repent our sins lord that we would just come to you in whatever state we are in i pray that we wouldn't try to clean ourselves up because there is nothing that we can do to be clean except for through the blood of christ today let us trust you and that obey your word that all who call on the name of the lord will be saved Pray that we would do that together as the body of Christ, knowing you daily, growing in you together, and going in you to all the world. We love you, Lord. It's in the beautiful name of Christ that we pray. Amen.
Before my birth, the Son was chosen to be the one to set me free. While I was lost and surely hell-bound, the perfect Son would die for me. Oh, praise the Father, how He welcomes all His children He will save. Praise our Lord who condescended, took on flesh and made a way. There on the cross the Christ was broken, and in his tomb his body lay. But on the third he claimed the victory, or sin and death, and now he reigns. Oh, hallelujah, what a Savior! Jesus died so I could live, and now by faith I do. Receive him, for he is mine and I am his. A day will come when all will see him, the Lamb who died and took our sin, the God who saved us and sustained us, will complete what he.
receive him for he is mine and I am his Amen what a wonderful song I love uh how it reflects back to what we've been talking about in the book of Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is light. And then he says that his heart is gentle and lowly. Today we're going to be looking at the understanding of worship. We've been walking through this on Wednesday nights with our uh, Bible study through uh, just the, the tabernacle and all the pieces and how we can understand what true worship is through that. But today I wanna, want you to open up to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This is a passage that many people probably have memorized. It's one you've heard many times in your life and it's often spoken about when you're thinking of worship. I just want us to understand though that throughout our life we're taught about worship and our experiences, our upbringing, and teachings have all played into a role that has created what worship means in your mind. Oftentimes we allow styles, worship, uh, worship styles, traditions, or even habits to kind of uh, let us know what, our, what worship means. Now each of these speak to the action of worship, but they don't speak to the heart of worship. As I've mentioned many times in the past... No matter what style or what tradition you have a preference to, if your heart is not surrendered to God, then it's not worship. You can sing hymns, you can sing contemporary, but if your heart is not surrendered to the Lord, then it's not worship. We must recognize this, and Jesus even speaks this, and, and yes, we're going to be in Romans 12, 1 and 2, but Jesus even speaks about this in Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, 7 through 9, you'll see it on the screen, you don't have to flip there, but it says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy to you. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Let me just explain that because I want us to understand as we look into Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is, is quoting Isaiah and he's saying ultimately to the scribes, to the Pharisees, and he says, hey, you have the action of worship. You're speaking this to the people, but your hearts are not there. You have not surrendered your heart to who I am, to the, to the holy God, creator God. And because of that, your worship is in what? Vain. Your worship is in vain. And so what I want us to see and I want us to think about today as we begin this topic of worship this week and next week, I want us to recognize that sometimes we come in with a preconceived idea of what something looks like and we need to lay that down and let the Bible give us the understanding of what biblical worship really is. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove 
what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's pray. Father, you are so good, and we recognize that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand your truths. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the pages today as we seek your truth, and that we may place it into our lives and live it out every day. For it's in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, as we look at Romans 12, verse 1 uh, in particular today, it starts with one of my favorite words, therefore. And when you ask yourself, when you see therefore, what do we ask ourselves? I've mentioned it many times. What is the therefore, therefore? Now, what I want us to see is that Paul is first giving us the reason for worship. Why do we worship? And then he gives us this word, therefore. Now, Paul, in this moment, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is transitioning in chapter 12. The first 11 chapters of Romans, and we're not teaching the whole book right now, but in the first 11 chapters, Paul has been telling them about being in Christ Jesus. He gives so many doctrinal statements, and we'll look at that here in just a second. But then in verse 12, he says, Therefore, because of who you are in Christ, now here is the doing that you do in Christ. Now, for those who were here for the year-long study of Ephesians, you'll remember Ephesians 4, verse 1. What was the word? What did it start with? Therefore. Therefore, right? The first three chapters was all about the being in Christ, and the last three chapters were all about the doing in Christ. This is very typical of Paul's writing. He often will, in the middle of the book somewhere, say, Therefore. Now, because you recognize who you are in Christ, now I want you to see what you're called to do in Christ. Now, I want to say this, as I've said many times, the being in Christ must come before the doing in Christ. If the doing for Christ comes before the being in Christ, then it is legalism and simply just tradition. Now, what does Paul speak about in the first 12, first 11 chapters of the book of Romans? You know, as I said, we're not going to do a full study of it today, so I'll just share the overarching themes. We see the depravity of man. As you look throughout Romans, it talks about the fact that, that uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It speaks in here that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. It speaks about the justification that we find in Christ. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It speaks about grace and, and election throughout Romans 1 through 11. It says in Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrated His love towards us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Is that not the grace and the mercy of God? That though we are undeserving, though we are sinners destined for hell, though we can do nothing in our own ability to provide a way to stand before the holiness of God, He says, I love you so much that I'm going to send my only Son to die for you. And then we see the doctrine of salvation. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Verse 10 goes on, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Church, what Paul is saying here is that our worship comes from an overflow of all that has been done by God on our behalf. 
When he says, therefore, he's saying, do you realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? That that you're depraved and that you can't do anything to save yourself? Do you realize that God has sent his Son to, to be your justification, to allow him to go to the cross, to be the propitiation for your sin? Do you realize that if you believe and trust in him and receive the free gift of grace and mercy, that you shall be saved? Church, when you see all of that, that we're sinners destined for hell and no way out, and God loved us even in the midst of that, even when we were unlovable, He loved us, and He sent His only Son, our worship is an overflow of all God has done for us. But can I tell you, worship is also, it's not a have-to, it's an overflow. It's not coerced or a forced doing It's not, hey, you have to worship. But it's the overflow of what God's done that brings about the joy of worship of the King. Many of y'all know that I'm taking seminary classes right now. And right now I'm in Christian ethics. I didn't know that Christian ethics, that you had to put a class together. But now I'm learning. Uh, But really it's more apologetics. But in this Christian ethics class, the author of our book, the, the Feinbergs, write... And they said that there are three reasons to make something a moral act. And the first two are very interesting. One is that a person must act on their free will. A person must not be forced or coerced to do something. But then number two is that the motive must be pure or right. And then the third thing is, is the act good or right? Obviously, worshiping God is good, it's right, but number one and two of this definition is very important here. Is our worship simply because you feel like you're supposed to or you have to, or is it a choice that you say, because of all God's done in my life, I am freely coming before Him and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth? Number two, is our motive pure? Is it, hey, I'm going to raise my hands because I want people to see me standing up here raising my hands. I want people to hear how beautiful of a voice I have or don't have. What is our purpose, our motive behind it? Is it pure? Church, the only pure motive behind worship is an overflow of what God has done for you. Man, therefore has a lot in it. But God goes on, he says, not only is the reason, therefore, everything that you've seen before this in Romans 1 through 11, but he also says this, that worship is because of who God is. It says, by the mercies of God. God is mercy. That's who he is. And this statement speaks ultimately to the character of God. Yes, it's specifically talking about the characteristic of mercy, that he is merciful. But it speaks to the overarching character of who God is. You can go back four weeks in the messages when I got back from sabbatical and we focused in on Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, or at least through 7a, it says this, The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord God, He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. He, his loving kindness for a thousand generations it says who forgives iniquities transgressions and sin church god is holy 
He's holy. The scripture says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we look at the character of who God is, his attributes, are we not overwhelmed by who God is? And then let's take that in light of Romans 1 through 11. God is holy. We are not. God is holy and merciful and we are sinful. Church, when it is overwhelming that the God of the universe who is holy, holy, holy would uh, offer his own son to purchase back a depraved sinner like me and you. There's no king in history that would allow his son to die for the people. In fact, kings in history required the people to lay down their lives for the preservation of their kingdom. None of these kings in history were holy, holy, holy like our God. And the holiness of God in his love and in his mercy, he sent his son to die for you and for me. I pray that this puts into perspective how undeserving we are for the mercies of holy God to be freely given to us. Uh, Church, when we think about the why, the reason for worship, it's because of all God has done for us and because of who He is. It's His worth. He is, uh, in fact, it's it's unlimited worth of who He is. We can't put an amount to it. It's infinite. God is truly worthy of our praise because of who He is. The psalmist speaks this so clearly in Psalm 145. Verses 1 through 9, I will extol you, my God, my King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and his greatness is what? Unsearchable. One generation shall praise your work to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works. I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and would shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and His mercies are over all His work. Man, I love that psalm because the psalmist is just crying out, because of who you are, I will praise you. Because you are holy, I will offer worship to you. Because you are great and unsearchable, and there's none like you, I will offer worship to you. But can I tell you, it's not just the psalmist, but in heaven, they're worshiping God for who he is. Look at what it says in Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and because of you, because of your will, they existed and were created. I could go on and on. What are they speaking around the throne? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We see throughout the book of Revelation that what's happening in heaven is that they are worshiping God for who He is. Church, are we worshiping God? Because of all that he has done for you and for me. And because we are overwhelmed 
by his goodness, overwhelmed by his attributes and who he is, and in the midst of who he is, still loves sinners like me and you. Scripture moves from the reason to the what of worship. What are we to do? Paul speaks of the overwhelming reason why and says that we are to offer our body as a sacrifice in response to all we have seen in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. Paul speaks of this sacrifice, and it's interesting because Paul's using a word picture here. You have to understand that the people that he's writing this letter to would have understood sacrifice because the Gentiles would sacrifice to pagan gods. The Jewish people, they would do the sacrifice as they see in the Old Testament. But the Gentiles, they were sacrificing to false gods. Now you have to understand that when they offered a sacrifice to a pagan god, it was either not alive or they killed it on the altar. And so this offering to these pagan gods were were things that they could not get back. They couldn't bring back to life something that they had killed on the altar. Now, Paul is going a little bit deeper here in this, and he's saying, hey, you're called to lay your body on the altar as a living sacrifice. Now, let me just stop and just say, when I was in South Asia last year, I literally watched people today, like happening in our lifetime, laying things down before false gods, offering sacrifices daily before false gods. This still happens today. Paul is saying here, hey, you understand what a sacrifice is. God is calling for you to lay your body down as a living sacrifice. Now, when Paul speaks of the word body, he means every bit of who you are. Every bit of who you are, which includes your mind, your heart, your soul, your emotions. We are to sacrifice every piece, every bit of our life. As Brother Fred often said, God is either Lord of all, come on, let's finish it, or He's not Lord at all. Paul goes further into this to speak that not just a sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. As I shared with you, all the pagans, they would have offered uh, these sacrifices and they couldn't receive this back. But here's the thing. A living sacrifice has to make a choice to stay on the altar. Let me just say that again. A living sacrifice has to make a choice to stay on the altar. Now, I want to be very clear with you. The scripture speaks that, that we don't lose our salvation. But I can tell you the scripture also speaks that we can quench the spirit. The scripture also speaks that a believer can get off the altar and run to false gods and that they will find out that those false gods will kill, steal, and destroy. But when we offer every bit of our life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am who's holy, 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 he will give you uh, abundant life. See, we must make a choice daily, church. If you're truly born again and our worship is a daily choice of staying on the altar. This is a daily decision to die to self. Though we're alive and we're living sacrifices, we're called to die to the flesh which is inside of us. 
Luke 9, 23 through 24, Jesus speaks of this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Paul in Galatians gives us an understanding of what that means to take up your cross or to deny yourself. He says this in Galatians 5.24. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, Church, what Paul is saying is, is that we worship because we're overwhelmed by who God is and what He's done for us. And so we give our whole life, our living life, our body to God. And we're going to, as we stay on the altar, continue to crucify the flesh daily. Now let me just tell you, crucifying or crucifixion was painful. If you've seen The Passion of Christ, it's hard for me to watch it, but I, but I, I do. I watch it. All, I, I try to watch it often because I want to be reminded of what Jesus went through for us. Can I tell you, when Jesus says that we must crucify the flesh, that is a painful journey. But it yields the fruit of righteousness. As we crucify the flesh, we're laying down our desires, our hopes, our dreams, and saying, Father, you do with me as you please. Your ways are better than my ways. Your thoughts are greater than my thoughts. I lay my life down because you have a perfect plan for my life. There's a really good example in the Scripture. As Precept Ministry taught me, whenever you can, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Well, Genesis chapter 22 gives a great example of one who was a living sacrifice. And that was Abraham. Abraham is called by God to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him. And Abraham is being asked to trust God and his plans. God has promised Abraham that he would bless all the nations through his offspring. And Isaac, Isaac, his only son, was was for him the understanding of how God was going to do this. And God calls and says, Abraham, take your son Isaac and lay him on the altar. I'm going to take you to a place and I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham in this moment had to trust and say, hey, I am laying every bit of my dreams, my hopes, my aspirations, everything. I'm laying this down on the altar as a living sacrifice before you. Father, I trust you. And I love this verse. This shows his trust in Genesis 22, 5. Abraham said to the young men, after they had gotten to where they were going, he said, hey, y'all stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and we will return to you. Think about this. We will worship. We will return to you. Abraham, being a living sacrifice, was trusting God, saying God has made a promise and he's not, he is going to be faithful to that promise. He's not going to let me down on this promise, on this covenant. And he is going to make a way for, for Isaac, whether, whether it's through uh, an offering, some other offering, whether it's through bringing him back to life. Abraham probably had a lot of thoughts of what was going to happen. But at the end of the day, he said, I trust you. I trust you. We know the end of the story. God provided a ram for the sacrifice and Abraham truly was a living sacrifice showing that he trusted God and made a choice to place everything on the altar. All of his hopes, all of his dreams were in Isaac and and all that he saw the future was there. But God, he was willing to lay that down before God. Church, are you a living sacrifice today? 
Are you choosing daily to crucify your flesh? Are you choosing daily to stay on the altar? Are you choosing daily to say, Father, I'm yours. The flesh is telling me to come over here, and the flesh is telling me to do this, and the flesh is telling me to do that, but I'm yours, and I'm laying down every bit of who I am. You use me for your kingdom and for your glory, whatever that means. Not only does Paul tell us to be a living sacrifice, but he also says that the sacrifice is to be holy. To be holy. Church, holy means to be set apart. This means that the living sacrifice is not to be given to any other idols. Church, we must recognize that we are not to divide our life between God and other things. Now, we are growing in this. It's called the sanctification process or being sanctified. This is the process where the Holy Spirit is making us holy. The more we grow in Christ through the Spirit, the more that we reflect the attributes of God, which as we stated earlier is holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Church, when we look at this in view of the sacrifice, of a living sacrifice, God is calling us to be set apart to Him and to Him alone. There's multiple times in Scripture that God speaks about how we are not to divide our life between God and anything else. What idols do we have in our life that are dividing the sacrifice? What are things that may be as equal to God or even higher than God in our lives? Easily it can become work, family, possessions, money, comfort, popularity, success. Or for me, back in the day, as I've shared with you, people-pleasing. Most of these in that list are good things, but none of them are holy like our God. A God is a jealous God, and He desires all of you. There's a song called Clear the Stage. Uh, is it Needham? Jimmy Needham? Is that who sings it? Uh, that, that speaks about anything that you think of more than God, that you dwell on more than God as an idol. Anything that, that consumes your mind and heart more than God does. As I was thinking about that, I was like, man, how often do I allow myself to be so focused on so many other things instead of God and what He wants in the midst of this? Church, are you laying down the things in your life that you've placed at equal or higher than God? Can I go back and remind you that He's worthy of all our praise? Can I go back and remind you that we worship God because of what he's done and who he is? Just think for a moment, the idols in your life, in view of God's holiness, they become real small. The idols in your life that seem like they, they may bring you pleasure, they may bring you happiness, they may bring you all these different things, in view of God's holiness, they are minuscule. But what we have to do is allow us to see God for who he is and not just look at these idols apart from God because then they lie to us. I'll tell you in my own life, as I share with you, that, that one of my struggles, y'all have heard the story, I've already told you many times about how God showed me that I was a people pleaser. This was 12 years ago. I've been here at Luke 14, 14 years, so it was two years into me being here. 
But what was interesting was that that idol that I was worshiping of people pleasing, it was never enough. I would give and the idol said, oh, thank you. Now more. And it was never enough. I heard a pastor say one time that he was struggling with people pleasing. And the first thing that he laid down on the altar was his time. He said, you know what? I'm going to focus on uh, pleasing people. The next thing, that wasn't enough. He laid down his, his uh, children on the altar. And he said, well, I, I'm not going to spend much time with them because I've got I to do this. I've got to make this person happy. This person's got to be happy with me and, and all this. And then it wasn't just his, his uh, children. It was his wife and his marriage. And so he laid that down on the altar. And he said, okay, I, I'm going to neglect these things so that I can make sure that all these people are happy with me. And at the end of the day, he found himself with nothing left to offer And having nothing. Church, this is what the idols in our life do when we split between God and other things. Today, are there things in your life that you have at the same value as God? We can't worship God in spirit and in truth when our heart's divided. What does it say in Psalm 24? Would you put that up on the screen? I know I didn't give it to you in the back. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? But he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And here it is. Who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood. For some of the, some of the translations will say, has not lifted up their soul to an idol. Are sworn by what is deceitful. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who are completely His. Who's overwhelmed by His goodness. By overwhelmed by what He's done for us. And then the last thing that we see in this verse. Is Paul says that this is acceptable. This is acceptable to God. I love what, what this says. The, the word acceptable. It also is for some of you. You may even see in your Bible. Well pleasing to God. It's acceptable. It's well-pleasing. What is acceptable? What is well-pleasing to God? When somebody has faith and trust that God is who he says he is and that he's done that which he said he's done by giving his son to die on the cross and that they have surrendered their whole life before him. Church, I love this passage because it puts the whole, I love this piece of the passage because it puts the whole thing together. This is what's acceptable to God is for us to give our life in return for who he is and what he's done. That's worship. Church, there's no other form of worship because Jesus even said in John 14, 6, he says that I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yes, there's different styles. Yes, there's different traditions. Yes, there's all these different things that that you can call worship. But at the end of the day, true worship that's acceptable to God is that who comes from a contrite and broken spirit who recognizes who God is, sees that he has done all this for us, and we fall on our face and say, I'm all yours, God. I'm all yours. I love the song that says, you're the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me and make me. Father, I'm all yours. You're the potter. I'm the clay. You do with me as you please. And we can only say that because of who he is. Because he loves us. Because he cares for us. 
Church, the only thing that is acceptable and well-pleasing to God is when we receive the free gift that's been given. And in response, we give him our life. Hebrews 11, verse 6, even speaks to this again. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Church, there is no other sacrifice. There's no other true way to worship. As I said, there's style, sure. There's tradition, sure. But at the end of the day, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. That true, acceptable worship to God is one who's seen him for who he is, overwhelmed by his holiness, overwhelmed by what he's done for us, that we would lay every bit of who we are, our mind, our body, our soul, our emotions, our uh, direction in life, our every bit of who we are before him. That we allow the Holy Spirit in and through us to continue to set us apart through the sanctification process that we may live a life of holiness for our God. And that we would stay daily on the altar. Church, I know we sang earlier, but the question is, did you really worship? It was a wonderful, wonderful time that that Brother Aaron led us in. I was sitting here, my eyes closed, just thinking about what God has done, and I said, Lord, I want my heart to be completely yours. And this is why I shared Wednesday night that when we come into worship, we must prepare our hearts. Father, I don't just come in here to sing or to hear a message, but I come in here to worship. But here's the beauty, church. You're still called to be a living sacrifice on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We're called to worship in spirit and in truth by being in awe of who he is and what he's done and giving him every bit of who we are.